Good evening, everybody, and happy Tuesday. I believe it's Tuesday, but welcome to the podcast. This one is all about Final Fantasy VIII. Thank you so much for the raid, Vic. That is amazing. Thank you so much. Welcome in. Um, I know a bunch of people from Vic's lot don't really do Final Fantasy, but I appreciate you all. Thank you very much for coming over. Final Fantasy VIII uh, has been around for over 20 years now, and this evening we've got Brofa and Fenmeister, otherwise known as Chris, um, who will be talking all things Final Fantasy VIII for us. So first of all, let me uh, introduce you, or they will introduce themselves, to um, Brofa. Please, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm Brofar. I am a Twitch streamer uh, based out of Western Canada, and... I usually stream with my friend next Devlin, who I think is in your chat at the moment. We are we like to play a lot of games, Final Fantasy, and particularly Final Fantasy VIII being one of our favorites. And uh, that's, that's the down low on the Brofar. <laughs> yep, yep. Though I remember there was a time when you were streaming together and uh, doing all of the voices. It was very interesting oh, yeah. to be able to watch you guys doing all of the voices. Very good voice work. Anybody that, that hasn't seen Brophy, you should go follow. And then Chris, please introduce yourself. Yeah, sure. So hi, I'm Chris. Uh, I am not a streamer. I'm actually a podcaster. So I am a co-host of the podcast Geek Between the Lines, which isn't actually about video games. It's mostly about uh, geeky series like Star Wars and Harry Potter and stuff. Uh, and we just analyze it through... Uh, fun, interesting themes uh, that we like to talk about. So we uh, we do that, but I, I also listen to a ton of podcasts and I'm always on the, the lookout for great Final Fantasy podcasts. And so I started listening to this one and I reached out to HBomb to see if I could get involved. And I'm really, really excited to, to be here. I'm very happy to have you here. Thank you very much. So this evening, if you haven't been here before for a podcast, for you guys at home, if you have any questions for either of these guys, it doesn't even need to be about Final Fantasy VIII, but any of the Final Fantasy series would be preferred. Um, but yeah, if you have any questions about Final Fantasy tonight, um, there is a channel points command, uh, no, channel point that you can do. It's only 50 points, so you should already have the capability of putting a question in. And uh, just write it in, and I will either read them during or at the end of the podcast. So yeah, anything that you have, anything you want to ask these guys, just pop it in the channel points, and I will read them out. So uh, let's start with our first question. Our first question is actually for both of you, but I'll aim it at Brofa first. Um, what is it about Final Fantasy VIII that makes it one of your favorite Final Fantasies? I mean, this is a, it's quite a simple answer. It was my first Final Fantasy. I picked it up when I was, I don't know, like 13 or 14. And I just kind of, it was my, actually it was, it was my first ever JRPG as well. So really it was the thing that like got me into the genre. It was my gateway drug to Final Fantasy. <laughs> well, that is, that is. Yep, that's usually a lot of people's answers for their first Final Fantasy being their favorite. What about you, Chris? What's your what makes it one of your favorites? Yeah, surprisingly enough, it was my first Final Fantasy. <laughs> um, I uh, I got it for Christmas uh, when I was nine years old, right when it came out, and uh, it you know my brother and I played through the entire first disc that first night, and then we got wow. to the second disc and realized we didn't have a memory card, so we couldn't keep playing the game. <gasps> Uh, so we very quickly replayed the game once we got one of those. Um, so yeah, it's, it was very much 
you know, the game that I would always go back to for a long time. My, not only my favorite Final Fantasy, but my favorite video game. But I still love it so much because every single component parts of the game provides me with joy. I think it's got, uh, you know, really great world building. Um, I think the school setting, you know, hits me right where, where I live. I'm an educator, you know, anything in, in a school is, is always a lot of fun. Amazing music, fun characters. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that... that it's just a, a great game and a really fun game that, that is not only nostalgic, but holds up in, in a lot of great ways. Yeah. I'll just interject for a second sure. and say that. So I have an education degree. I'm not an educator. But can I just mention how awesome it would be to have a school like that <laughs> to be part of that kind of setting? That would be amazing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There's like half of me is, you know, just like, this is so cool teaching magic. We've got gun swords and weapons. The other half of me is just like, there's the pedagogy here really needs some work. These students are way too young to be in this kind of danger. Is there mental health services on campuses? Because these students clearly need it. Uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, right. <laughs> like you have like, yeah, exactly what you said. Like on one hand, you have like all these cool like features and everything. On the other hand, you have child soldiers and you're just like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, and Quistus being a teacher hitting on school all the way through. <laughs> Very professional. Yeah. Um, uh, well, actually, talking about characters, who is your favorite character and why? We'll start with Chris. Uh, yeah, Selfie's actually my favorite character. Um, and, you know, I think that, that part of that is that she's got the, you know, the, the kind of cute spunkiness about her. She's very energetic. Uh, but I actually also resonate with Selfie a lot. I think that she, a lot of her great good values are the values that I, I have when I'm at my healthiest. Uh, you know, she really wants to get involved. She does all of this, you know, community school planning, the, the, the garden festival, all these other kinds of things. I was super involved when I was a student. I still am involved in my community. Um, I think that she's really empathetic and caring. I think that the, the scene when she is, uh, you know, at Trabia and she's really helping everyone else there. She's really being of service to her, her community in that very really awful time. Her setting up the concert for Squall and Rhinoa, you know, all these other kinds of elements. And, um, you know, she, she, yeah, she feels really strongly, but she doesn't really get bogged down in despair. Um, she remains a positive outlook. So I, I really appreciate um, those aspects of her character. Um, plus, I, I really love the, the slot mechanic. I think it's a, it's a fun addition to the gameplay. Nice. And what about you, Brofa? So for me, when I was younger, it was definitely Selfie as well, for many of the same reasons. But lately, as I'm getting older, it's actually turned into to Zoo. And the reason behind that is you have this, this person who is calm under pressure. You have this person who, who takes charge, but also recognizes authority when necessary. Basically, for, you know, for lack of more character development that could have happened for a, a non-player character, Zoo is like the utility character, and that's that's what resonated with me, and that's kind of what I am in real life. I'm I'm the person who will do my best to like be there for people, and I will take charge if necessary. But if you know if someone else is already doing the thing, then I'll support them to the best of my abilities. So really, I just really see myself in that character as well. Also, she's hot as hell. So <laughs> that helps. Ah, <laughs> oh, I like that. That's a completely different character suggestion. I love it. Okay, so um. Well, keeping on the character line, which do you feel is the least developed in Final Fantasy VIII and why? Brofa, do you have an answer for that one? Um, it may not be a popular opinion, but I think 
in my in my opinion, it's um, it's Irvine. It's Irvine mm-hmm. because he kind of you know he's he's shoehorned in as like the sharpshooter, and he starts off as like kind of like this womanizer character, and by the end, he's still this womanizer sharpshooter. Like that's his whole identity, except for this one plot dump you have in the middle of the game at Travia, where he explains like you know I remember everybody when they were kids. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, though, like I don't really see any progression in in his persona throughout the game. Yeah, it is like he has just been used to do that plot point to make that change in the game. Um, and Chris, what about you? Which character you feels least developed? Uh, I would say all the sorceresses, but especially Adia. <laughs> um, I think that, you know, she, she almost competes with herself in regards to character development because the first couple of discs she's put forward as this, you know, very powerful, intense, uh, kind of, you know, chilling sorceress. And then we mostly just get, when we see her own character development, just the kind of, uh, you know, motherly, uh, you know, the matron character who is caring and kind, but isn't really explored beyond that. Uh, and so I would love to see, I think, more of of her character uh, than, than the, the, the game gives us. Hmm. Yeah, both very good suggestions. Really enjoyed that answer. Um, which part of the storyline do you enjoy most? We'll start with Chris. Yeah, uh, I mean, really, I have to say the first, the entire first disc uh, is just so uh, something that, that really grabs me. I have a, a real problem, especially when I was a kid, of just replaying the beginning of my favorite games. I probably played (laughs) Pokemon Red and Blue's like first three gyms 20 times. Um, And this game, though I've beaten it a number of times, I've probably played the first disc alone 10 or 15 times without actually continuing the game because I just like wanted that nostalgia hit. And so I go in, I play this game, I get to that and I'm like, okay, I got this hit. Maybe I can go back to one of the other billion games I need to play right now. Um, But I especially love the the Dalit mission. I love exploring uh, Dealing City um, and and just kind of being able to go through these really pivotal moments, getting to know these characters, kind of experience them entering the world in that way. It's it's a way for me to enter the world. So uh, I, I really appreciate that. Though I will say that you know, ha- once you have the Ragnarok, uh, you know, and the world mm. really opens up to you, it's it's a, it's a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, that that would probably be it for me. Yeah, it's it's a tough one, bro. For what about you? Which part of the storyline? Face. No, I'm kidding. I'm saying that to <laughs> piss off every Final Fantasy VIII speedrunner in this chat. Um, <laughs> everybody hates space. Um, my favorite would be Fisherman's Horizon, and it's Ooh. not due to specifically the the story points that happen whereas they are cool like you know the concert is super cool meeting the mayor is cool the you know the the little invasion attempt that happens is kind of cool but there's a lot of depth in fisherman's horizon that i love and you find these by doing most of the side quests in there as well that you have these you have these people these peaceful people who were actually engineers in the city of esther and like you know being ruled by sorceress adele and kind of trying to amalgamate, amalgamate this giant army to, to seek kind of time compression eventually, as you find out. And you find these people who have essentially defected from this large technological city and bring their expertise to develop like a, a peaceful township. And they're trying to just maintain that, but yet you have all this, you know, all this intelligence just floating around there in the, in the backdrop. 
True. Yeah, I, I love the, the the radical pacifism of the mayor yeah. and of the town, where even as they're literally being invaded, he still refuses violence, and he, he even as he's saved through violent means, he cannot, uh, uh, you know, approve of those means he really is willing to to give his life just for these this ideal and i think that that's that's really powerful it is though i do kind of consider that like it's a good thing to be a pacifist in my opinion but there's also when you're that radical of a pacifist that does lend itself to being a little more closed-minded and i think that that was really the mayor's downfall there like kind of exactly what you explained is that being like pacifism is a general good sometimes it's not the solution, you know? And that's where I think the mayor, like at the end of that scene, the mayor is on the ground, kind of unable to come to terms with it, right? And I think that's really the main, what's driving that when he's in that situation. Yeah, and Squall, I think, lays out know where he stands like yeah pacifism would be great but sometimes you have to fight and yeah. um I, I most most video games have violence as some element of it but very few of them actually delve into the ideologies ideologies behind being violent or being non-violent and, and what that can mean and mm. I, I appreciate that even though it's a small part of the game they do that yeah it's it's great um i've just noticed cressup thank you very much for the raid welcome on in everybody from cressup stream um, this evening's podcast is all about Final Fantasy VIII. Even if you don't know anything about Final Fantasy VIII, these two on the panel are going to tell you all about it and maybe get you interested in the game. Lots of interesting things we're talking about. Also, if you do know about Final Fantasy VIII and you have any questions that you would like to ask these two, uh, you can do a, um, a channel point. It's only 50 points, so you've already got access to it. Um, just hit the channel point and ask a question, and I will ask either Brofer or or Chris whichever question you if you'd like to aim it at one in particular, and then we'll um, read it out. But welcome on in, thank you very much. Summer likes Final Fantasy VIII. That's lovely to hear. <laughs> um, this thing, yes, exactly what Cross has just redeemed. Ask a Final Fantasy question. It's open for everybody. Uh, get those questions in if you've got any, and we've only just started, so we've got plenty of time to get through um, and read them out. We've actually had a couple already. We did have one from Zessel, which is what is your fondest memory, which is possibly different to um, which part of the storyline did you enjoy the most. So do you think you two, um, what is your fondest memory of Final Fantasy VIII? Do you think you could have a different memory? Should we think on it maybe and come back? Yeah, I, I think it might just be the opening, um, not the cinematic, which I, I think is amazing, mm. but the uh, right when Squall and Quistus are walking out into Balam and into the garden and she is yeah. kind of teasing him a little bit and then the music kicks in and you see the CG like environment there. And I think that that just moment is such a great moment of, of you know, building this space, which is such a different space than you've seen in any other Final Fantasy game. Mm. Uh, yeah, that that might be it. Like with the pan, you see like everything happening, and like kids are going about their day and it's school. And I'm a very like slice of life school. Like if I if I were to watch anime, it'd be like you know that kind of genre. And so, yeah, like right here, you know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I'm glad that Cecil asked that question then. Um, we actually have had another question from X Devlin. Um, what moment really hit you in the gut? Would that be different to, to Zessel's question or 
Is there a moment that hits you in the gut in Final Fantasy VIII? Because there are some pretty hard-hitting parts in the storyline. I think for me it might be when uh, when Adia under Ultimicia's control, like, uh, basically calls Cypher useless at the end of Disc 2. And, you know, he's someone who has this intense dream, this kind of romantic vision, and uh, he does so much for it. And then he, you know, tries his best and still fails and is just completely discarded afterwards. Uh, I think my, mo my most recent playthroughs, I've been really paying more attention to Cypher. And that moment is a really powerful one for, for his character. Chris, we're very similar people. Because mine is also a Cypher-related <laughs> moment. It's not the same moment, but it is Cypher-related. And it's when they, they take the president hostage um, during the TV broadcast, broadcast and Idea shows up and event essentially convinces Cypher to join her. And to me, that was like the ultimate betrayal. Because I was like, you know, I, I know. I know that Cypher and Squall don't get along. Cypher and the party in general don't get along. But you're still in the same school. You're part of the same crew. You know, like, you don't have to get along with everybody in your family or everybody in your friend circle to, to still be considered, you know, kin. And yet Cypher just kind of threw all that aside, he, you know, through manipulation or otherwise. And it was just, it was such a betrayal to me. And I just felt like really empty when, when it happened. Aww. Totally, yeah. It makes me think of, of the, uh, uh, the scene where they think he died and how they're yeah. all reminiscing about him and how, yeah, it, even though he was an enemy, he was still one of us. Uh, yeah. and, and that, that's, Cypher becomes, I think, so much more of a compelling and central character the more you think about how the other characters relate to him. Well, it's also that he's also, like, he, he's one of the ways that a villain is designed well, which is to be the hero of their own story. Right. If you're that's 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 a great way to design a villain in a screenplay or in any kind of story where you just set them up to be a person who has their own goal that just happens to conflict with the with the protagonist's goal. And you're seeing that here. Right. Cypher has his romantic dream. He gets you know, that gets played on by by Altimisha and, and Adea to to get him to swap sides. They really take advantage and manipulate that out of him. But it really it really also fosters that kind of connection as well you can empathize with the enemy <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh beautiful answers thank you so much for the questions as well guys keep them coming in um going back to my pre-written questions um we've got a great one we've got a great one let's see how chat feels about this um do you believe that squall died at the end of disc one uh, that one, I mean, it's either, let's start with Brofa. Do you believe that Squall died at the end of Disc 1? No, I don't. There's, <laughs> there's no... <laughs> to me, like, anatomically speaking, he gets hit in the right shoulder. That's nowhere near anything, like, important. I'm surprised he still has an arm, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but I feel like, especially with, like, an icicle, like, if it's dealt with properly, he could survive that blow. And I, I don't think there's really any... Any reason to think you would have died? Like, you get hit with so much worse in a battle, mm -hmm. you know? You get hit with, like, Ultima, and it just, like, destroys you and everything. It's like a nuclear <laughs> blast centered on your person, and yet you're like, eh, you know, like, whatever. I don't think an icicle to the shoulder is going to take Squall out. I feel like he's gotten those in training while fighting Cypher. Yeah, probably, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, for An ice cold shoulder could probably be treated with our medicine in our yes. society, and we don't even have magic. Uh, 
Um, just, I'm just gonna write for you guys at home. Um, I'm just gonna paste the URL. There is a website that you can go to, um, where people do believe that Squall dies at the end of disc one. So for those of you that might not know, um, there's a big fight and, um, a big shard of ice hits Squall and he goes down and everyone's in shock and it's a fade. And I think it's end of disc one. Is it end of disc one guys? Yes. I feel mm. like it's an end of a disc, yeah. And so you think, oh crap, what the hell just happened? Um, some people believe that from then on, Squall is dead. And it's a whole other thing. Um, Chris, do you, you don't believe that Squall died at the end of this one, do you? I do not, no. Okay. I, I, reading through the, the, the page is, is great, for one, because it's a you know flashback to blogspot era kind of web page design but also because you know there are some interesting and like well-crafted elements of the theory mm. but no I, I i don't believe it um you know for one the idea that squall is just dreaming the rest of the game like mm. before he dies like he's just not an imaginative person to come up with the rest of that game it just you know he's he doesn't have that in him uh frankly <laughs> uh but but for me like the main thing of why it doesn't it doesn't really resonate with me as a a like a, a verifiable kind of theory is because it just it falls apart as a narrative if that was the case then the narrative as a whole of the entire game which they put all these resources into doesn't have a beginning middle and end really it doesn't have you know a hero's journey that he goes on um and the, if it was a dream that dream doesn't tell us anything about squall about his beliefs or his motivations or you know what uh, his characteristics anything of substance really so uh yeah for me it, it falls apart it's fun to think about, but uh, but definitely not in any way my interpretation of the game. Yeah. Though I'd also like to point out that the Squall is Dead, the website, and the theory would be an excellent case study on general conspiracy theories and how those come about. <laughs> and to see, like, you know, how people are able to kind of like spin that kind of thing to, to be something that it may not be. It's scary, but true, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, well, moving on from that one, we have another theory. Um, I always say her name wrong. How do you feel about the theory that Renoa is Ultima Sia? That's how I say it, Ultima Sia. Oh, interesting. I've always said Ultimatia, but... I yeah, always say the names really wrong. Yeah, it's fine. It's <laughs> fine. Um, so yeah, there's a theory that Renoa is Ultima Sia. Um, Chris, how do you feel about this theory? Pretty similarly, honestly, uh, you know, I think that again, it has some compelling analysis in it, but as a, you know, as a whole, it falls pretty flat. Um, and it, it's funny because I think this theory actually comes at the game from like the opposite perspective of the Squall is Dead theory. Because Squall of Dead, Squall is Dead is talking about how after disc one, all of these kind of wild, unexplained things happen. In particular, why would Renoa all of a sudden be a love interest for Squall? That's just him dreaming that this is the case. Whereas the Ultimisha, that Renoa's Ultimisha theory, it's kind of looking at it to say uh, Renoa and Squall's connection is so integral and that their romance is so important to the plot that in fact Ultimisha is a villain because 
she's connected to Renoa and thus connected to Squall. And so it's kind of looking at the same game from a completely different perspective. Um, you know, not being annoyed by that romance, but seeing it as as so so central. Um, so yeah, I think that there's some some fun contrasts between Rhino and Ultimatia that they, they talk about, how they're designed like similarly, but in contrast, how, uh, you know, they, they both have a kind of sorceress atmosphere, but one is more light, one is more dark. Um, you know, there's elements of, of just the design of the characters and their, their characteristics that kind of match and contrast one another. But I think that that is less about them being the same person and more about kind of what Profar was saying earlier, good character design, a good villain design, where having the dark version of a character in your party is another way that, you know, villains can be compelling. They're, they're, they're a mirror image in some ways of your main character. So Cypher and Squall, Ultimishi and Renoa. Um, again... We don't know a ton about Ultimicia, frankly, and which gives room for these kinds of conspiracy theories to take hold. But uh, I don't really see by this as as a, a theory that works. Um, I actually know Kitase has been on record saying neither of these are true. So if you take his his word for it, at least, uh, yeah, that that's not something they were thinking about at the time. Um, but you know, I, I'm always just a fan of reading interesting fan theories, whether I believe in them or not. Yeah, it it is. It's very uh, interesting. Uh, Bro, do you have any thoughts on the Renoa? So I'm in the same boat. Uh, I think it's more compelling than the Squall is Dead theory, but ultimately still incorrect and inaccurate. Um, you do see, you know, the, the arguments that they bring make a lot of sense. Uh, I kind of disagree with the whole Griever message, though, where they're like, oh, yeah, well, only Renoa knew that Squall named his ring Griever. It's like, uh. <laughs> it's been said that Ultimisha actually, like, pulls it out of Squall, right? Pulls Squall's greatest fear and it decides to give it form and that's what griever is so yeah i'm in this i'm very much in the same boat i don't think i could have explained it as elegantly as chris did but we we are definitely in agreement on on this point <laughs> beautiful okay let's start talking about junctioning rofa how yes. do you feel about the junctioning and draw system what do you feel are the positive and negative aspects of it compared with other final fantasies so as someone who is speedrunner adjacent, um, the junction system is the, the quintessential system to making the speedrun work. And that is because of its flaw in that it can be broken so easily. So the, for those of you who don't know, Final Fantasy VIII experimented with a new system called the junction system where instead of your characters leveling up and, and um, increasing their stats by equipment or other means, although there is equipment that does increase base stats, uh, what you can actually do is you can junction specific spells to your stats. So you can junction, for example, water to your strength stat, and that'll and water has its own modifier on how much it'll affect each stat or whatever. And and that will you can use that to build up your characters in combination with magic being consumable entity. So it's not a matter of you learn to spell and you consume MP to cast it. If you have the water spell, if you have one water spell, you can cast it once and it's gone. You have to get more. You can have up to, you know, a hundred of each spell. Um, so the quantity and the type of spell affect each, each stat differently. So the, the advantage of something like this is that you're able to really customize your characters. You can customize one for attack, defense, magic, and the game actually has automatic, like it has a function where you can do that automatically. And you can really kind of fine tune your characters as to what you want. Uh, without needing to, you know, go out and find equipment or whatever, you do have to go out and find magic. 
the downside is that it's it's very complex to a casual gamer. It's very hard to pick up. And one of the biggest criticisms that I've heard of Final Fantasy VIII is that it's very difficult to understand for a new player. And people, you know, find out about it and they're like, you know what, I'm out, I'm done. When I was playing this game at like 13, I didn't even know you could junction different abilities. I had Squall with like attack, GF, and item. All the other characters had attack only because I junctioned all the GFs, the, 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 the summons, the Squall. And I somehow managed to beat the game and it was great. <laughs> um, that's, yeah. That, so really, I like it because it lets me break the game really early on if I want to. I could deal max mm -hmm. damage by the end of disc one, but I can see why other people wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, Chris, in this Final Fantasy, the enemies level with you, um, apart from some islands where there's some certain bosses, um, which this causes some players to level low. Is this something that you do for your playthrough? So do you keep your levels low? Um, and how do you think that this changes gameplay compared with other Final Fantasies? Yeah, I, I know that this is a, a common uh, technique, um, and I don't really use it myself. I kind of do the opposite. I actually level up to, to level 30 pretty quickly, because that way I can draw the best magic as soon as possible. So, like, I'll get to 30 before I fight Diablos, because that way he's got Holy and Flare, and then I can draw those and just, you know, max up my junctions way earlier in the game than I might have been otherwise. Uh, but... You know, that's that's one of the things I like about this game is that there are so many different ways to break the game. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just like that you can uh, just overlevel yourself and grind yourself over there, but you can do draw things, you can do card refining, yeah. you can uh, you know you can cheese your 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 your, uh, your level so you're not leveling up, but you're getting higher AP. You know, there's so many different ways that you can engage with these mechanics that each kind of give you a different pathway towards. Mm -hmm ultimately probably being overpowered but at least you know finding your own your own way through the game so i you know i, I don't do the under leveling myself because i just love the draw system i think that's a lot of fun to just uh you know put on a podcast draw a bunch of magic for like 30 minutes and then you're overpowered for the next four hours um but uh, uh i think it's it's yeah just a really cool system that um you know you asked how it affects the gameplay and i think that it allows uh, kind of higher level game players to really, you know, be intentional about the way they want to play the game in a way that is much more thoughtful uh, and a little bit less kind of mindless as it might be in other games where it's just like, well, I just leveled up again. I got these marginal stat bonuses. I don't really know what that means for me, but you know, that's how you play the game. Uh, and I need to do this five more times in order to beat this boss easily. Uh, now it's a little bit more like what, what mechanical way do you want to engage with that powering up? Do you think that this Final Fantasy, this is a question off, off of that, do you think that this Final Fantasy has, like, the most ways of cheesing it? <laughs> do you think it's, like, maybe, because there's just so many things. You've got your card game, the fact that you can keep low level. Do other Final Fantasies, I'm just thinking if they compare, really. Maybe this is why so many people, you know, people just break this game. People f are known to break Final Fantasy Eight. <laughs> You get called out on Twitch if you're not breaking Final Fantasy playthrough. <laughs> like, you get called out for eight. Oh, we've got another raid coming in. Hello, Spectre. Thank you so much for the raid. Welcome on in, everybody. Welcome on in. Um, we're talking all about Final Fantasy VIII. 
If any of you um, have any questions for these guys about Final Fantasy VIII, please chuck them in the, uh, there's a command, a command point that you can put them in. Um, so if you just click on my, I always say command, channel, channel point, channel thing that you do. Um, chuck them in, as Croesus, thank you so much Croesus, as Croesus is just uh, did an example for you there. Um, if you have any questions about Final Fantasy VIII, please throw them in and I will read them out um, and you'll get your answers. These guys know everything about Final Fantasy VIII. Where we're at right now, we were just talking okay. about, we were just talking about um, just there's so many ways of playing this game and, and like, you know, you could just play it OG. You could just play it straight all the way through like I would have done when I first played it as a kid. Like I just would have played the game and I wouldn't have even learned everything about junctioning. And then gradually when you play it so many more times, you can mess with the system, with the junctions, you can, you know, the leveling thing. I wouldn't have known the leveling thing when I first played this game. And so that's what we were just discussing. Um, either of you guys got any thoughts on what I just brought up? It's up there. I mean, I don't. I haven't played all of the Final Fantasies in depth enough to give you a, a surefire that yes, this is the game that you can cheese the most ever. But it's it's definitely up there. I think there's like quite a few ways to to cheese this game between what you said, between cards, between grinding early game to for context. By the way, to to what Chris said, for those of you who don't know, monsters and bosses and enemies, um, you can draw spells from them, but the tier of spell they have depends on your party's average level. So when you level up to level 30 for Diablos, for example, and he has, you know, you can get holy from him. That's because your party's average level is that high. And so, yeah, I think, you know, it's, there's definitely many, many ways to play this game. And that's, that lends itself to why I love it so much, but it also lends itself to why there's such a, a steep learning curve to really get into it. I think. Mm, yeah. I would also agree on that. It definitely, could seem a bit more, it's a lot more thinking going into it, which you've both said. Um, where was I in my questions? Oh, go on. The only other Final Fantasy I can think of be myself being this intentional with my character builds is tactics, is like really figuring out, okay, I'm gonna build this character in this specific way, and then they're gonna be an overpowered monster. Um, you know, I think that most other games, there, there's much more linear systems where you don't get to build such, you know, intense builds and also have so many different ways of, of engaging with that. Um, but it's it's definitely, I think, unique in, in that way, which as you mentioned, isn't, you know, for, for just the casual gamer, but it gives you more, uh, more depth for it for for if you're replaying it or you're playing it yeah. as a as a, a long time fan. Mm. It uh, yeah, I definitely feel like I need to play Final Fantasy VIII again. <laughs> um, Spectre has said the Brofers T-shirt is awesome. It is. I, I I had noticed it and, and forgot to mention it earlier. I'm sorry. Um, and Kale is saying draw 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 draw. Yes, exactly. Draw all of the drawing. Um, and Gecko, hello, welcome in level one, run every time. Uh-huh. Um, all right, guys, let's, if you have any questions, please um, pop them in the channel points. Gecko, if you've got any questions of Final Fantasy VIII, please chuck them on in. Um, where were we? So we were talking about, uh, bro, in an average playthrough, how much will you give yourself an advantage by using the cards and refining? So, so much. My God. <laughs> Like so much. 
Uh-huh, um, you're one of those. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't need to draw. I have cards. Like, it's, <laughs> it's one of those things. I'm like, drawing to me, like, yeah, I could do that for half an hour, but I would, you know, ADHD my way over somewhere else. Or I could just refine a card and I'd be okay. Um, you get a couple of very powerful ones if you want at the beginning. So you get the Quisis card and the Zell card. Um, the Zell card specifically, you can refine with Cardmon to get Hyper Wrists, which gives your GFs uh, strength plus 60%, which early game, in fact, the whole game, it's amazing. So it's it's quite useful to cheese with cards. And it helps that the card, the, the, the triple triad theme, the Shuffle or Boogie is such a good song because I'm just sitting here listening to like, and then... You know, like. <laughs> so, for those oh, of you yeah. at home that might not know, um, Final Fantasy VIII has a card game in it. A lot of Final Fantasies actually have card games in them, in them, and this one is a particularly useful one uh, in a way that you can totally cheese your entire gameplay, as Bro just uh, just explained to you. Um, okay. The best part. Let me. Can I just add yeah. to that real quick? Yeah. The best part is if you if you refine a card. You can still get it back later in the game from from the uh, the headmaster of Galbadia Garden. You just like you go, you play him. He'll play it eventually, and you just win it back. You're like, yeah, I destroy, I ripped this card up, and I made some spells out of it. He's like, oh well, you know what? I have one over here. Why don't you just play me for it? I'm like, oh, <laughs> thanks. Let me do it again. I confiscated it from a student. <laughs> Ultimate cheese, like this game. There's just so many ways of playing this game. Um. Chris, how do you feel about the limit break system letting you spam the refresh button to trigger it? You know, see another way of cheesing this game? Uh, another game-breaking method or a welcome addition? I love this version of the limit break system. Um, you know, I think that other, like, unlike the other game-breaking methods that we've been talking about, this one comes with such big risk, where you are purposefully keeping your HP low, unless you're using Aura, um, to help you kind of do this. And also, it gives you a little bit more a kind of uh, action that you have to do to, to stay active as a player. So, you know, for Renzo Kukin, you're, you're using the R1 to make sure you're hitting the, the right ones. For uh, Selfie, you're doing the slot over and over which adds the other and an additional element of luck to it um you know so and and just even getting you know pressing circle 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 and then stopping right when the you know you get the little arrow thing uh, all of those i think for me make me more of an active player it keeps me on my toes a little bit more uh, especially with you know i put the the a battle speed very very quick because you know it makes drawing faster uh for those of us who play the card game as a collector and not as a as a refiner um so yeah i think that that the, the kind of big risk big reward aspect makes it so that i am more likely to use spells or uh, items to you know give myself a, a phoenix down but not then cure myself and and let my characters die more often or, or get ko'd more often so that i can bring them back and they can still be at that level um so, it, you know, while the game is still firmly in those ATB systems, I think it, it's adding this thing that, for me at least, makes it more engaging than just like, oh, I'm going to grind before this boss a bunch of times to fill up my limit gauge, and then I'll go into the boss battle with those ready. For those boss battles, I'm a little bit more, yeah, it's a little riskier for me. Yeah, I, I definitely just 
spammed the button all the time until I got a limit break. <laughs> so I played the game. Um, Brofa, uh, Final Fantasy VIII was the first Final Fantasy to have realistically proportioned to have realistically proportioned characters compared to its predecessors. Do you think this was this decision was to show the advances in animation at the time, or something more? It's a bit of both. Mm. I think you know technology advanced to the point where they were able to do so, but I think more so that Final Fantasy VIII. If you look at the setting and if you look at the just kind of the world of the game, it's set to be in a more you know magic aside like a realistic style world, which automatically gives you the the ability to have realistically proportioned characters and have it be ingrained in that world and be you know something that people would expect like i I don't think that it was particularly a boardroom meeting where people were like do we do realistically proportioned characters or should we stick with that when you're done it was more like you know like we're going to show off the technology and it also happens to fit in with our setting so we're just going to roll with it Actually, I disagree. From from what I've read, I think that it, it was a kind of intentional choice. And, uh, you know, Katase, who really took the lead in this game, wanted this thing. And, and Sakaguchi, who had taken the lead on the previous games, he kind of questioned it from, from what I've, I've read. That he was kind of like, mm, is this really Final Fantasy? Is this really the direction we want to go into? Um, and that's why when he kind of took a little bit more of the reins for Final Fantasy IX, he went more back to that kind of cartoonish or... or, or you know, uh, less realistic kind of style, uh, at least from what I've read. Uh, so I, I think that that it is interesting to see this as kind of a uh, uh, a change in um, in the style of the, the series, uh, and one that probably was intentional to to give it a uh, you know definitely to to show off the the amazing graphics that they're able to to improve since seven, um, but also mm. yeah to 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 really make it striking in comparison to earlier games. Yeah, it's it's so different <laughs> compared to the polygons of Seven. Um, and we've had another raid. Uh, thank you so much, Ferrico. Welcome on in all of the Ferrico people. I know there's a few of you in chat that are Final Fantasy fans, so welcome on in. We're talking about Final Fantasy VIII. So if you have any questions that you would like to ask about Final Fantasy VIII, as Croesus has just uh, shown you, just chuck it in, chuck it in the channel points and we will read them out. Um, I might have some actually at this point to read out. <laughs> um, let's have a look and see where we're at with my list of questions. See where I got to. Um, <laughs> Cause we've got quite a few. Um, oh, this is a good one. Waking asked this a while ago. Squaresoft loves to push the limits every time they release a new AAA game. What did you notice in 8 versus 7 and then 8 versus 9? To me, it was a large graphic update. Either of you have any thoughts on that? So I might let Chris take the lead on this. Uh, I, I could never get through 7, so I don't know if I have a good basis of comparison for that. I mean, I, I don't know if this is the case for you, but it took me a while to get into 7 because of, you know, with 8 being my first one, it felt like a downgrade getting into that yeah. kind of, you know, a different graphic style, one that I didn't in enjoy as much. Uh, so it definitely, I think, it took me until 
I was probably in high school until I really went back and revisited that in the earlier games in the series and was able to kind of engage with them in a way that was, uh, you know, where I could enjoy myself. Because, yeah, that, that upgrade was so, so, you know, amazing. Um, it's like and, a stark difference, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, for in regards to kind of the, the like, technological upgrades for nine um i think for me it was you know again because they went back to kind of the cartoon style i think for me when i think about the overworld of nine is really where i see more of an upgrade um the way that the mists kind of exist in the world and and the kind of uh i i just for, for whatever reason maybe this is untrue but uh it felt um or it feels to me now when i think about it as kind of a step up from seven and eight yeah. Um, Kale in chat said Shiva in 7 versus Shiva in 8. A drastic difference in detail and animation. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And, um, and, I mean, and I think now Shiva in 8 is like the di diamond dust. Like, you know, so many other ones have done the snap, have, have kind of made that almost like the, the iconic version of Shiva. Um, and I think it's because this really was such an impressive moment. I think one of the interesting contrasts, and I may be wrong, and I'm like, because I read this somewhere, and I don't know how how substantiated it is, but I read somewhere that eight and nine were actually developed in parallel, so they were developed around the same time. So I don't know how how easy it would be to call nine an upgrade, because if it was if it was being developed alongside, it might have just been like a divergent path. But I, like, I don't know if they had a chance to do any lesson learning or postmortems after eight to, to improve on, on a specific aspect. That's a really good point. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, they, I think already were hitting the limits of the PlayStation one hardware. Um, and so that's what, you know, 10 became the new thing they're looking yeah. for. Cause I think eight, nine and 10 all came out within like three or four years of one another. They were so, they so did. quick. Yeah. Yeah. It was such a fast release schedule for those three and two of them are great. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my other question I have from Zessel, uh, Zessel likes to chuck a couple joke, joke questions in. Um, do you think Squall is actually shooting his gunblade with real bullets? And if so, why doesn't he actually shoot from longer distances? There's no rifling in the gunblade. It's just gonna... It's a, it's a weird one. Uh, his other question is, was Squall really the best looking guy at the dance? Oh, oh, Zessel, who do you think was the best looking guy at the dance? Um, let's see, what other questions have I got? Um... No, Shintu isn't that bad looking either. During that... <laughs> I, don't know if, I don't know if anybody else noticed. I only noticed for the first time, like maybe in my last playthrough or something that in that scene, when they're dancing and they bump into the other couple, Renoa sticks her tongue out at them. And mm -hmm. I've never noticed that before. Mm -hmm. And I was yeah, like, I what? <laughs> before I would, I would pay attention to like Squall's like embarrassment, but Renoa's, yeah, sticking the tongue out is, is very yeah. fun. I do love that when the remaster was announced, that was part of the marketing campaign, was <laughs> showing that image yep. and showing the difference because yeah, Square Enix knew 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 what was what was necessary. Nice, that, I didn't so know good. that. Yeah, they really owned it. It was so good. I loved it so much. <laughs> um, I love that we're still getting uh, Ferrico's 
messages, raid messages coming up in chat. Welcome on in, guys. If you've got any Final Fantasy VIII questions, please chuck them in the uh, channel points at us and we will read them out. We're going through some at the minute. Uh, Zessel, <laughs> Zessel's written a question more for yourself here, Zessel. Do I have to keep on putting a facade that I hate Final Fantasy VIII when I actually enjoy the game? <laughs> I don't love think what you, you love. do. Don't exactly. let anyone tell you otherwise. Exactly. With your permission, Cecil, you don't have to put the facade up anymore. You can be true to yourself. I will facade enough for the two of us. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Kale is asking, is Squall justified in his feelings? Um, so I'm not sure exactly what feelings you were mentioning, but I would say that, it, you know, one of the, the things that I've come to understand more of the game um, as I've grown is is how Squall is basically dealing with trauma and how his kind of closed offness is yep. a response to a really hard childhood um, and then becoming a child soldier. So I think that um, for that, I think that he, you know, justified is a hard thing to say. I think feelings generally, you know, you don't have to be justified for your feelings. But I think that his response to that makes more sense to me and is a little bit less, you know, frustrating or annoying. Um, the older I get and the more I understand that, um, you know, he's he is responding to something. It's not just coming from a, a, a personality choice. Yeah. And if we, you know, if you dive a bit deeper into that, like you have this trauma that he endured as a child. Uh, namely, one of which being, you know, this he had one trusted figure in this orphanage who disappeared without a trace, right? And he grows up, and in the game, he he talks about not relying on other people because they'll just let you down, and they'll just be, you know, they they just won't be around anymore. And he he very openly discusses this at one point, which to me is great development for him going through trauma. That's a great step, you know, always <laughs> talking about that kind of thing, but you see this happen like you see it happen in front of your eyes that he's he's trying to process this and he's been trying to process this for the past 10 to 15 years or however old he was when he was he was 10 right something like that anyway from a child to being a teenager to being you know like chris said like a, a soldier he's never really had a chance to to go through these feelings i don't think it's always been like go 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 try to survive be in survival mode like, what's, what's the next thing that's going to happen? How do I get through it? And then when he's on this prolonged mission, as it were, with, with Renault and crew, he has more opportunities than he expected to, to sit down and have to explore those. And he's been challenged to explore them, given, you know, the, the blossoming love that happens between <laughs> him and Renault. And I think she plays, as much as I dislike her, like she plays a vital part in his growth. And without her, I don't think he would be who he is just because she's so persistent and she, she pokes when it's uncomfortable and make like kind of in a way forces them to explore those feelings and come to terms with them. True. Yeah, that's a really good point. And mm -hmm. I think the other thing that he's dealing with is that he, he doesn't trust adults, that he is constantly talking about how the world is a mess and how things are just bad. And um, I think that comes from a yeah, experience where people have let him down for his entire life. And uh, the world is a mess and he doesn't entirely know how to navigate it, but he is frustrated with it. But 
there's also a helplessness there of, but what can I do about this? You know, I'm just a soldier. All I can do is, you know, try to work my best for myself, but I'm not going to rely on anyone else because everyone's let me down my entire life. And, you know, the more I do rely on others and more others rely on me, just the harder things are going to be. He also, like, he, he shows up by dissociating too, right? Like, how many times has he said whatever? Or when, when he gets asked about, like, what if your enemy was pure evil by, when, you're, when you're doing the, the assassination mission? And he says, like, there's no such thing as good and evil. You just, you know, it's your side, their side. Like, I'm just, you know, doing the job. Like, he's dissociating if you really look into it. And yeah. all of these, you can see, like, they're, they're all, like, like, like you said, they're all, they're all reactions to trauma. Mm, very interesting. Um, Gecko said that he said whatever to that question. <laughs> the classic response. Um, all right, let's carry on with the questions. Um, oh, actually, Ferrico said Squall is surrounded by incompetence as well. I'd be withdrawn too. <laughs> yeah, if I was around Zell, I'd be the same. <laughs> oh. Um, Right, uh, we'll get back to your questions, chat. If if you've got more, keep them coming. We will read them out. I'm just going to get through the last few that I've got written already. Um, which the next one is, which is your favorite GF? So GF in Final Fantasy VIII is Guardian Force, which is the summon. Um, so which is your favorite GF and why? Brofa? Carbuncle. So cute. Gives you the best buffs. You're good. Could be a pet. <laughs> Cute. Uh, Chris? Quetzalcoatl uh, 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 is my favorite. Uh, I, I've always liked him more than Ramu. Uh, I, I think that he's a, a really great character. And, and as I've, I've, you know, explored more of uh, Mayan and, and uh, other uh, Mesoamerican cultures, I think that it's a really cool place to draw on that you don't see a ton of in, especially JRPGs. So, um, yeah, he's he's my favorite. Yeah, I've been trying to cool think place of... to draw on. Of... <laughs> <laughs> I've been thinking of mine. I think I think I quite liked um, Diablo a little bit, but I don't know why. <laughs> I think it was more getting him that I was interested in. There were a few there were a few summons that were really interesting to get in Final Fantasy VIII, and I think I really enjoyed that part of it. Um, Eden is also up there for being like really cool. Also breaks the damage limit, but like really yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, Gecko says Doom Train for the best animation. Uh, Kale is agreeing with Carbuncle, um, but also, also Alexander exists. Doom Train is also a really fun, like, an interesting uh, quest to get, where you have oh, to, yeah. you know, get these items, and you only have these very basic uh, clues from these magazines. Uh, I think that's a, a cool element too. Yeah, I think, like I said, I think there's so many cool ways, of, like, interesting ways to get these extra summons in Final Fantasy VIII. Um, it makes makes it, it just adds the hours onto the gameplay that I don't have anymore. But anyway, um, let's move on to the next question. Uh, Chris, how do you feel about the flashbacks to Laguna as a way of forwarding the plot? Uh, I really like them for the most part. I think that they're they're very interesting. Uh, I think especially for for a first time player, they help to give the early game a kind of more uh, compelling 
narrative where it's beyond just the the kind of gritty political operations that you're doing as a mercenary which i think are really cool and really interesting themselves but you also have these wider mysteries that you're given of why am i seeing these visions of these other people um you know it, it kind of gives you i think a more of a narrative thread of these these questions that uh that are unanswered for for a very long time um uh, also, you in the second one are in a place called Lunatic Pandora, and at that point, I'm just like, I need to find out more about everything that's happening here. Um, and and the tone is just so much lighter than, and I think the, the game as a whole isn't particularly dark, but Laguna, in contrast to Squall, is such a a, a, a great contrast where. We see, you know, even as things are going bad, the humor and the camaraderie between him and Kiros and Ward, which is so different from Squall in the early beginning of the game, where there's not a lot of humor. Um, there's, you know, at least that Squall is engaging in, and he doesn't have the same kind of love for his comrades yet. Um, and, and so seeing that, I think, is, is also really refreshing in that way, um, particularly when you get Squall's commentary on everything Laguna's doing, where you can see this as Squall's experiencing it and seeing just how much of a goofball Laguna is and the way that Squall just like looks down on him um, for, for all the things that he does. And yet he also is able to do many things that Squall isn't able to do. He's able to be vulnerable and he's able to be honest and, and he doesn't disassociate. He's really in the moment in, in almost everything he does. Uh, and, you know, Squall is this cool teen who needs to seem aloof and often is aloof. Uh, but I think that it, it makes sense both in a humorous way, but also in a, a compelling character way to see Squall experiencing what it's like to be someone very different from him. Um, and and see what you know that person was like at the age that that he is um yeah I, I, so i i love him i like the flashbacks a lot and yeah. man with the machine gun is a great song <laughs> um and uh, gecko says uh, laguna is very important to how the present world in the game developed so i think it was important to explore his journey i also uh, want a friendship like him and kiros and ward oh level you know <laughs> <laughs> it's nice um i know that apparently that they were meant to be a much larger part of the game and they'd actually developed a whole different overworld for them oh, wow. uh that you know was going to be much larger but ultimately they had to cut it down um and so yeah i think that 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 there's a lot of interesting elements there that that also kind of go into unexplored but keeping them into the level they are at least keeps me engaged very interesting didn't know that if your dog started barking by any chance yeah apologies <laughs> I'll, I'll mute myself but the, the, the neighbor dogs are literally have the worst timing in the world <laughs> um okay the next question is for uh brofa so are there any negatives to this game in your eyes so no um not in my eyes but i also acknowledge that you know that's it's very much, that's, it's such a subjective question, right? Like mm. to me, if I'm going to list out negatives, they're all going to be from like a technical standpoint or a story development standpoint. Like, yeah, there's plot holes, but every story has plot holes. Every, like, as far as a narrative go, I think it's pretty good. Um, it could have, it could have stood to have a little bit more like development backstory. Like this game would be great with a prequel. Let's put it that way. Um, and it could also be things that could be addressed if the game ever gets a remake. 
I don't even remember what my train of thought. So I'm going to skip that completely and talk about what we were talking about when you were gone. And that is oh. the, the memory loss component. Um, when we, we were just talking about how it's, Chris was mentioning that it would be nice if they fleshed that out a bit more. And, and I was just mentioning that, yeah, like you see it mentioned three times in the game. You see it mentioned in the, in the console, in the classroom. You see it mentioned by a garden faculty once telling you to ignore any criticisms about the GFs. And then you, which is, by the way, great propaganda. Um, and then you, you see it after that big plot dump in the basketball court, which, in fact, that's the negative. That plot dump sucks. That, yes. plot, that could have been, yes. like, that could have been drawn out throughout the rest of the game. Space also could have used a little bit more context. Like, if we're talking like story negatives, that those are it. Otherwise, I would love some more backstory. I would love some more side quests like character development some more oh that's what i was talking about like, yeah the, the graphics were kind of upgraded which i think took out took away from being able to have like all those different side quests that you see in like 10 and 7 etc so i love this game and i just wish it was better let's put it that way <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> um i mean i totally agree the whole the whole um memory loss but the the memory loss bit where uh irvine has to go and say oh i know all of you we've all known each other forever uh that bit for me has always been the worst bit for me and he like shrugs off the fact that he was about to shoot Adea, like and she was the the matron for this whole time and mm -hmm. he's like oh well i thought you guys knew we were going through with it anyway like Really? You didn't think to just, like, ask why? Like, why are you, like, I'm just going to go along with this and kill this person, potentially? You know, like, it just, it, it felt a little shallow to me. And yeah. that scene where he kind of is having his anxiety attack and, and things like that, like, they could have made that even more fleshed out there. It kind of hint at these elements that there's a reason here beyond just this thing that pops up one time and is never really dealt with more. Yeah, and he shrugs it off as like, oh, I'll change history. He's not even talking about, like, I know this person. I f yeah, I, f I feel like it's a part that, like, maybe different people writing different aspects or maybe, you know, the, the it's something to do with the, the writing. At some point in the writing process, something disconnected and they hadn't worked it out or, you know, something messed up. <laughs> and then they went with that. And that's what we got. Um, uh, right, okay. My, my next question is actually a question that Swiggle also asked. Swiggle, we are on the same wavelength because you've pretty much written the same thing that I've got written here, which is, would you want a remake of Final Fantasy VIII akin to what they're currently doing with Final Fantasy VII Remake? Um, and do you think that there are any parts of the story that they would change? So we'll start with Brofa. This is for both of you. We'll start with Brofa. Yeah, I'd like it. <laughs> I don't think you'll find a Final Fantasy VIII fan out there who would not want a remake. Um, I really hope they do it eventually. I know, you know, you're focused on Seven right now, which makes sense. Seven was the more popular one. It was the big hitter. Uh, eight was more of like a like a niche audience type thing, especially with the junction system and such. It'd be great if they could explain that better in the remake to, to newer players. That'd be fantastic. And, you know, like I said, like I love to be able to, like whether it's a side quest or just like extra literature or whatever around it, just to explain more about the world and to, to explain more about the characters. Like, so Chris mentioned earlier that the, the one of the least developed characters in the game are the sorceresses. So, 
it'd be great to see, you know, more backstory in game about that. You know, you can read about it, you can read about Hind and you can read about like the succession of witches and such, but it'd be cool to have that as like an actual something you learn in the game that's like main story, main plot adjacent, something like that. Just flesh out the world a bit more, dive into that a bit more, maybe respond to some of the criticisms about like consumable magic, but then that might spiral into, you know, you might pigeonhole yourself or dive into a rabbit hole of coming up with a brand new system that doesn't exactly lend itself to the junction system in good faith. But generally speaking, like for me, it'd be like plot points, like add more story, please. <laughs> Chris, what about yourself? Yeah, I might be the, the only the only fan that Brofar mentioned, because uh, I, I don't really want a remake. Not to say that like if they made a remake, I wouldn't be super excited and play the hell out of it. But it's not something that like I desire. Uh, I think part of that is because eight was such a, a graphic improvement. Um, like seven, going back to Midgar and seeing those scenes was so in, in a higher quality was so impactful because the earlier ones were you know pretty uh, pretty cartoonish and, and they weren't really as realistic. And so seeing a more realistic version of that was a big impact. But like I remember uh, you know when I think it was the PS3 was created, maybe it was the PS2, but they did a technical uh, you know um, aspect of it of the dance scene and said like this is a real-time graphic you know version of the dance scene from Final Fantasy VIII on this new hardware. And I don't see that talked about or really cared about as much because the dancing already looked beautiful and the, the new version also looked beautiful, but you know, it wasn't that huge of a, a change. And so for me, that aspect of the remake isn't as necessary. I definitely agree that I would love more story. I'd love them to flesh out more uh, kinds of things, but I, I don't really say that I would, I would love to have a remake or I really want them to do that because I want them to make new games, you know, like it's been so long, you know, and we're, we're waiting for 16 and we're waiting for these other kinds of games. And, you know, I would prefer that they put their efforts into new kinds of things. I love the Final Fantasy VIII story. I love the mechanics. I love it for what it is. I don't really need a new version of that. If they have something more that's exciting to me in, in new ways, that's what I'd prefer to see. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I would, I would, again, I would play the hell out of it for sure. How did you feel about the remastered version with the more kind of anime style faces that they plastered onto the... I loved it. I thought it was great. I thought the the remaster was really, really well done. Um, you know, it, it didn't completely take away the kind of retro aesthetic of it, but it made things a little bit smoother, a little bit better. Uh, I didn't really hate the kind of anime style thing that people, it's all, a lot of people on the internet uh, upset about. Didn't bother me. Um, I watch a lot of anime, so, you know, maybe <laughs> that's why, but uh, it, 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 yeah, I, I loved the, the remaster. I loved everything about it. Cool. someone who runs an anime convention i also don't mind it <laughs> <laughs> but, um i wasn't a big fan of the remaster personally i for whatever reason to me it kind of seemed like a cash grab just because it that level of quality of gameplay was already available you would have to know how to like install mods on your game and arguably mods um the, the original with mods make it look better than the remaster. So I wasn't super keen when it came out and I wasn't super, I wasn't like buying into the motivation. Um, I do, you know, I respect that people enjoy it and I'm not trying to like take away from that. But for me personally, I didn't, I didn't really get much out of the fact that they released a remaster. Yeah. I still need to play the remaster. Um, just, I think that will be my next way of playing Final Fantasy VIII. Because I, I don't know if I can speed through it that way. Um... And that's the, I think that's the other thing is that, you know, for those of us not in the speedrun community who, who really try to, uh, 
to engage with the you know, mechanics of getting through the game as quickly as possible that way, having, you know, wanting to replay this game but not wanting to put 20 hours into it, having the three times speed, mm. having all those other kinds of features is actually really helpful for me. Um, you know, I, I like having that for a replay. Sure, it means I'm not engaging with mechanics the same way I might have in the past, but I've played this game a billion times. I don't necessarily feel like I need to do that. If I really just want to experience the story and go through those beats and the world building again, um, I like those quality of life features quite a bit. I would like to point out that the original does have a high speed mode as well. Oh, does it? Does it? Yeah. yeah. You press F1 on your keyboard. Oh, I, oh, might... I, I never I played it on PlayStation. PC. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, we're PlayStation people. <laughs> that makes more sense. I get you now. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was actually a question uh, Ness asked uh, in relation to the remake question. Uh, Ness asked, what gameplay changes would you change or update to a Final Fantasy VIII remake to make it more approachable? So I think, Brofa, you kind of touched on that a little bit with maybe having a bit more of an explanation on the junctioning system. Do either of you have any more thoughts on that question? I think one element for me is, which I really liked what they did in, in Seven, is to make the characters each feel very different in the way that they're played. Um, the way, especially with the junctioning system, essentially the characters can all be the exact same outside of the, uh, uh, the their limit breaks. And so I think that building the characters into having a lot more personality in their mechanics would be a great way of updating that. I 100% I agree with that. And yeah, like, my, my big thing is the junction system, and I'm, I'm still going to harp on that, but like, treat that as more of like an, an equip system. I feel like that'd be more approachable. I think that people would understand that way more if you, if you treat it like you're, you're just customizing equipment, the equipment just happens to be the character. One thing I was mentioning to Brofar earlier when we were having the technical difficulties was I actually think that having a mechanical component to the GF memory loss would also be a really interesting way of making that more impactful, where if, you know, you have to, the more you use GFs, the less that you can, you know, learn abilities or you forget abilities that you learned in the past or some way of making it so that, you know, if the game is telling you that you gain power, but you give up memories, actually making that a mechanical component of how you gain power, I think would be really cool and an interesting way of making that more impactful uh, narratively as well imagine losing your limit break if you used your gfs for too long <laughs> like you just forgot be, how to do it i'd be broken <laughs> <I'm> gone. <laughs> I, that's a really nice idea that's another level of the game that would have been re i think a lot of uh recurring final fantasy players would love to try that they would love that extra level um, to work through. Um, Ferrico actually said in chat, they'd never bring the junction system to a remake. It's way too broken, albeit in a fun way. <laughs> Which is what we have said quite a few times tonight, actually. <laughs> um, Gecko loved the new character models. Waking is interested that Brofa runs anime conventions. Might want to know more in the future. We can discuss that at the end, Waking. Um, um, I have actually got a few, I've got one more question out of my list and then we've got you guys in chat. So if you've got any more questions, keep them coming and then I'll go through them. I've got this one last one that I would like to ask these guys. Um, and you guys are welcome to go and chuck yours in and then we'll go through them. So my question to both of you is, what would you say to convince someone who's never played Final Fantasy VIII before to pick it up today? Either of you go first. 
It's got love. It's got magic. It's got fighting. It has a sword with a gun built into it. It's got nunchucks. It's got... <laughs> it's got... It's got a flying ship with claws. Like, come on, you know? <laughs> Play it for that alone. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's, got, it's a great coming-of-age story. It's, uh, you know, got anime magic school vibes. It's, uh, it, you know, it's got rivals who clearly have the hots for each other. Um, you know, it just, I, I would say, play this game about a bunch of, uh, you know, moody cool and emotionally underdeveloped teenagers whose superpowers give them amnesia and they have to fight monsters from the moon and mechanical spiders and time traveling sorceresses um you know it's it's just it's great relive your childhood trauma in a fantastical way <laughs> this is also yeah this is true i mean it is actually amazing when you go through when you look at if you were to write down each sort of story element through this entire game i mean so much like it, you know the fact that it goes into space you're not going to expect that and, and you've got all those different towns and all that oh there's so much in this one game and then it's got all these human characters until you go and meet this crazy guy that's running your school <laughs> in the basement yeah. it's like, mental <laughs> it, they built an entire space station to just keep one person up there. Like, <laughs> there's a crazy French guy who likes to tell stories. <laughs> it's, uh, it is, it's amazing as a, as a far-flung so many ends of the spectrum type of game. Okay, oh, guys. Moombas. Moombas, yeah, exactly. I love the Moombas. Um, so, let me go through the questions. i got to scroll through, because you guys have thrown in quite a few. Let me see where I got to. Um, let's see. Uh, 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 uh. Odin. Zessel's asking, Odin or Gilgi? I'm assuming Gilgi is Gilgamesh. Odin or Gilgi? I like Odin. <laughs> Gilgamesh is Odin who sometimes fails. <laughs> Yeah, that that's a very good that's a good line. Um, Odin has a six-legged horse. Like, come on. I think if I was playing this game, uh, like, and had already played a lot of the other Final Fantasy games, I probably would have been really excited to see Gilgamesh. Um, but coming into it, you know, just as is, Norse mythology has always been interesting to me. So seeing Odin was, you know, pretty cool. Yeah, I, um, I yeah, I think I'm always an Odin. Odin fan. Um, Ferrico. Did you know, by the way? Hmm? Sorry, just gonna interject real quick. Did Go you on. know that if you like, so on the PC version, you can use Cheat Engine and modify memory values and such. So if you lock the enemies into an HP value so they can't die, um, Odin and Gilgamesh may spawn. They're on a timer. They may spawn. And if they spawn and do their thing and the enemy doesn't die, they can spawn again later on down. Like the timer just resets, which is very interesting, interesting to me. When would people be setting their game where they don't, the guys don't die? <laughs> when you're me and you're trying to map the memory of the game, so you need the enemy to not die so you can stay in a battle. <laughs> okay, interesting. Yeah. Um, Ferrico asks, which is more broken, the plots or the game mechanics? <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I mean, I'd say the mechanics. Yeah. The plot, at least, you know, has a a narrative to it. Uh, the mechanics are are. I mean, and it's it's you know hard to say broken because it's clearly that this was intended to be the case that it was able to be. Um, you know, you could overpower yourself in these ways, but uh, there are ways for you. There's so many different ways, as you were talking about earlier, that you can overpower yourself uh, through the mechanics of the game. I am in 100% agreement with that. <laughs> um, the plot at least has, <laughs> you know, a direction, hmm. whereas the mechanics. Um, Ness is asking, uh, care to touch on the card refining system? Love it? Hate it? Is it necessary or ignorable? It's ignorable for sure. Like, we, you know, we touched on many different ways to break this game or even play this game. You could play the whole game without touching the cards. You could even miss the initial person who gives you your first hand and play the whole game without, without playing a single card game, but you'd be missing out on a fantastic background song and on a fantastic way to get hyper risk really early on in the game and other spells that are equally powerful. So it's... I like it personally. Um, I like the card games, but it's it's definitely something that you don't need to feel necessary to play through if you don't want to. Even though you can get them back later on, the idea of turning my unique, uh, you know, person cards into into items for me is just like, no, these these are these are sacred items. I need to keep these safe. You know, uh, build up my collection. Uh, but but I like the fact that it's there. Again, it, it provides interesting new gameplay mechanics. There's a uh, one of the eight speedrunners, Thomas eighty nine eighty nine, has a physical deck of triple triad cards. That's so cool. really cool. Oh wow. Um... I might be interested in talking to some of these speedrunners. Um, <laughs> so Ness has also asked the question, Laguna or Squall? Laguna, easily. I don't even have to think about it. <laughs> I just love him as a person. His proposal was so on point, and I could only dream of doing something like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's hard for me to choose, because I think that, that, that Laguna is great because of Squall. I uh, I think that... Uh, I really love Laguna because I liked seeing him through Squall's perspective uh, and, and, and in contrast to Squall. So I, I think that the game needs both. I think that having both as, as your kind of, uh, and, you know, protagonist and deuteragonist is, is really, really great. I mean, I would also definitely be going for Laguna, although I personally always got pretty bored in those flashbacks. Um... <laughs> I enjoyed it. Some points in the game, it was a really nice break because the chaos that had been going on with Squall and then you just got like the calm music and you just got a nice calm town with Laguna running around. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll get through this. This is a nice little break. But um, yeah, I would also uh, get bored sometimes with it, but I would choose him over Squall any day. <laughs> such a lovable goofball in my eyes and maybe it's because i personally like when i was a kid i identified with squall a bit more and mm. i'm trying to like repress that because laguna was like the person i'd want to be because like he's like cool he you know he has his own like internal struggles but they're like they're their first world problems like how do i ask this piano girl out or like whatever but like you have you have um this guy who's like a goofball and generally like a lovable dope and i'm like i'd love to be a lovable dope please make me a lovable dope <laughs> If I had to choose, I'd go Laguna, but, um, you know, I think, I think Squall's a really great protagonist. Oh, 
Okay, well that is a beautiful comment to be ending our questions on. Um, if anybody else has any anything that they would like to be asking, you're welcome to, to ask us now in chat. Um, can I just, uh, just bring up that whole Moomba thing again? How do we feel about Moombas and like the randomness in Final Fantasy VIII? Do we see them in any other Final Fantasies? Think so. I don't think so. No, <laughs> that's so I mean, random. We get to see Shumi's in other Final Fantasies because Moombas are the yeah. next evolutionary yeah. step from a Shumi, right? Yeah. So, mm -hmm. It feels like it was unique to eight, but you also don't see Moogles in eight, so it's it's a weird like oh, trade off. Yeah. Good yeah, point. I always saw them as kind of the the, the eight's version of Moogles. Um, yeah. They're they're interesting uh I, I think that they're fun like in the moment but i will say like for me the shumi village side quest is probably the most boring um so like i could if they wanted to be gritty with the remake and not have you know these these shumi and, and moombas into it i wouldn't you know be crying about it <laughs> the setting of the village is really cool i just yeah i agree that the the quest itself is super boring It'd be cool if they had that as like an area you could visit. Maybe not that specific quest if they did a remake, but it'd be cool to see an underground city is all I'm saying. Yeah. Mm. I like that, the, again, you know, it kind of builds the mystery when they start calling Squall Laguna and like yelling Laguna in the in the oh, yeah. uh, prison. Um, again, it's like, okay, so clearly there's more outside of just Squall that's engaging with, you know, these connections. Uh, so that's cool. Yeah, and uh, chat are reminding us that Lulu holds a doll of a Moomba as one oh, of her right. yeah. weapons. She right. doesn't need a weapon, but a Very weapon <laughs> in Final Fantasy X, yes. Um, so I think everybody in chat is is done with your questioning. Oh, Ferrico, Ferrico's throwing a last one in. Is the moment when the party is all in jail and have their weapons taken and Zell realizes that he still has a weapon because his fists are his weapons. <laughs> his best moment in the game. So is that moment Zell's best moment in the game? That's Ferrico's question. <laughs> yes. <a> Zell moment. <laughs> Very well could be. Yeah, or hot well, dog, um... or hot dog ending. <laughs> hot dog ending where he finally gets the hot dog though he is choking on it is also pretty good <laughs> um i i love that that sequence of the the prison though because like each of them get like an anime like power rangers style like yep. pose that they get to do uh okay. yeah, yeah it's wonderful so good uh yeah, all I, oh god, man, like we all lost our weapons. All I have are these fists of mine. <laughs> Wait, I can do something. Um, Kale, what was your question? What was your, you've just written squall face. I'm now trying to scroll through and find what your question was. Um, oh, about, about the ending with squall's face getting a hole in it, causing nightmares. Yeah, I think so. Squall's face hole. That was literally your question. Squall's face hole. Uh huh. We just—he's got it. Yeah, that's yes. The thing that happens. Yeah. <laughs> Would you guys like to to discuss more on this squall face hole? Uh, I mean, for me, it always just like like narratively, it seems like a uh, way of visualizing that Squall's losing himself in the time compression that. Squall is, you know, losing his identity, and that's what Renoa has to 
to get back to save him at that very last bit. Um, but it is just super creepy and, and weird looking for sure. See, to me, I took it more literally as like Squall is being erased from from the timeline. And it was one of those like kind of Doctor Strange moments where it's one of like many possible timelines and we're just trying to essentially avoid that outcome throughout this whole sequence of things. And then we, you know, we end up being in the timeline where she finds it. See, oh, I don't even remember Squall's face it's being a, a hole. It's like a two-frame, it's a two-frame, like, picture happening during the end sequence after you beat Altamicia. I see. That that would help with the, um, uh, the conspiracies as well, I'm guessing, <laughs> that everyone... Is very much up. a part of, uh, <laughs> of the, the Squall is dead theory, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Um, okay, we've got a couple of questions. Croesus has actually written, did you guys know that Moombas are a homage to Nanaki? Hmm. Well, that makes sense. I That's did cool. not. No. I did not know that either. Um, Ferrico has written, how differently would it be judged if a male character were as romantically pushy as Renoa was? <laughs> yes. Good question, Ferrico. How differently would it be judged if a male were as romantically pushy? I'm trying to think, because I feel like there have been characters in Final Fantasies where a male has definitely been pushy. At the risk of me sounding, like, a bit dumb, I don't think she was all that pushy. Like, I think she made, like, two attempts to get him to dance with her. And then he eventually agreed. And I think that, to me, that is within the realm of acceptability. <laughs> As long as you're not being really creepy about it. It's unfortunate because, like, you know, when I think about this in, in comparison to media at the time and, mm -hmm. frankly, video games today, it's not, like, that far afield from what is kind of normal. I will just say that, yeah, for sure it's, you know, there's some issues with consent there uh, and, and things like that. But uh, Irvine in the same game is being super pushy with Selfie. And, you know, I guess he's narratively kind of judged as more, it's more comedic. It's not take this seriously. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think that, that lots of games need to, to deal with, the, have a kind of a reckoning with uh, the way that romance is portrayed in the same way that, that movies have needed to have that for a long time. Mm, yeah. Oh, um, I do. Sorry. No, go on for, go for it. I, I was going to say, I do, I do want to mention, though, that, like, it kind of exists in the game where where it is judged differently because Irvine does get an earful from Quistus mm -hmm. for for not be, not taking the mission seriously and for being like the womanizer type character that he is. It's true. Yeah, and uh, Gecko has uh, said in chat, uh, "Do we need another Edgar?" Because is it um, is it Final Fantasy? Six, Six um, where he's oh. I, because I had played Final Fantasy VI last year for the first time, and I was just like, this character is creepy. <laughs> this is so wrong. It's so wrong. And if they were to remake it, they would really have to work on that one. Um, and Ferrico has also just brought up Don Corneo as well in Final Fantasy VII. Like, he is. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people like that in real life, but uh, yeah, it's also a creepy character. Um,. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of like liberties taken um, from, you know, from the time. Yeah. So there's a situation where when you're leaving Galbadia Garden, if you have a party where it's um, Irvine and the and, and Selfie and, and Renoa and then Squall's own Quistus, then he, you know, there's a comment that's made and then 
Quist just starts like subtly hitting on Squall and they go, well, we're going to have our own fun. And Squall's all like, you creep, like buzz <laughs> off type thing. So there's, there's definitely things in there that are, to me, like if they were released today, it'd be pushing the line. Um, but I also do think that in that kind of format and that kind of narrative format, it is. And like, take this with a grain of salt, like it's, it's a safer way to explore that kind of, of poor behavior without having like a real world impact if that makes sense mm. though you also risk people seeing it and thinking it's okay to do so it's a balance yeah um we're just reading through some of chats uh so Fer in ferrico's eyes um he talking about so comparing with irvine and renoa so um that's what makes it different from renoa hers is more focused to the point of harassment in my opinion um and then Ness has written, I feel like Edgar's womanizing is for show to kind of downplay his seriousness about running his kingdom. Ooh. Interesting, Ness. Um, very interesting topics of conversation, guys. I appreciate all of the questions that we've had. Um, Brofer and Chris, do you feel like there's any other things about Final Fantasy VIII that we might not have touched upon this evening? I think for me, the, the, the one thing that kind of comes from my thoughts about Final Fantasy VIII that I've been thinking about recently is like, oftentimes the, the theme of like fate is kind of put forward that, mm -hmm. you know, Squall and Cypher are fated to be rivals and Squall is fated to fight the sorceress and, and all these other kinds of things. Um, but I, I think, I, I don't know, I'd love to hear, hear everyone else's thoughts on this because for me, I feel like that kind of actually falls flat in the game. I think that Squall's frustration, as I was talking about earlier with, with kind of adults and the way that the world looks, um, you know, he's resigned to it at the beginning of the game. And t throughout the game, he becomes more and more of an agent of what he wants and going after what he actually wants and desires. And I think that at the beginning of disc three, when he uh, takes Renoa, um, you know, and, and leaves, abdicates his his power as the, the general, uh, basically, of the Lamb Garden, um, is a really powerful moment where he is not just doing the responsibility that's thrust upon him. Not, he's, he's kind of going against his fate um, as he, it's been laid out for him, but instead choosing his own path. Um, so I, I kind of think that the the game talks more a lot about fate, but my reading of the game is much more about you know personal choice than that. Um, but I'd love to hear other other fans of the game's uh, insight on that. I've honestly never given that much thought. Like I've. He, like, you know, you see Squall mentioned in, like, while we're waiting for, or when you hear about Cypher's execution, you, you hear him mention that, like, he, he doesn't want people to talk about him at the past tense. He, he's worried about what fate's going to befall him. And then he decides to, you know, like, I feel like that's the first point where you see him kind of break out of this whole following orders, doing what I'm told um, a mentality. And I think that's like, to your point, like that's where he starts taking his fate into his own hands, so to speak. Um, but like, yeah, I've never, like, I've never thought of from that perspective from like specifically, like they are fated to be rivals and, and they are like, you know, he's fated to do a certain path. And he's like, I don't think so. Like I, this girl that I love now is, you know, is in a, is in a state and I'm going to take care of her first because that matters to me more. And at that point, you know, he also, which I thought was like kind of cheesy, but he's like, if you turn in, turn out to be a sorceress, I'll be your knight type thing. And he, he mimics kind of like Cypher's, um, 
Cypher's path with with Adea. So it's 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 definitely an interesting take, and I'm I'm gonna be looking for that in my next playthrough for sure. How many times do you think you guys have played through Final Fantasy VIII? I think I've beaten the game and played through it fully three or four times, but I've started it and played through the first few discs or so uh, at least a dozen more. Yeah, I think I've beaten it maybe six times, but I have like 500, 600 hours and just doing like speed run research and such. <laughs> um, we've got another question from Ferrico. Uh, do you reckon they gave Angelo to Renoa as an addition to make her more likable as they knew there were character issues? Ferrico, do you hate Renoa? <laughs> just getting a little hint of maybe a little hatred towards her. Um, so I'm not the biggest fan of her, but okay. I think... I don't think they, they added Angelo to make up for any sort of like character flaws for Renault. I think they added Angelo because they wanted to have a pet in the game because that, you know, people love animals. Mm -hmm. And Renault was just the person who happened to get him because it just seemed the most fitting. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would also agree on that. And I think chat as well is just kind of like either laughing, agreeing, or saying, I saw no character issues. Zessel's <laughs> <laughs> um, asked, do you wish we got the Pocket Station here in the States back in the PlayStation 1 day? So the Pocket Station, wasn't that a thing where you got an extra mini game, was it, that it connected to? Yeah, you could, uh, I think it was a Chocobo game that you could play uh, through connecting the Pocket Station to the, the game. Yeah, I, I, you know, I can be a completionist at times with games, and so the fact that there was a whole extra part of this game I had no access to was a real bummer. Hmm. Yeah, same boat. Like, it was a, kind of equivalent to, like, the Pokewalker nowadays, you know? Like, it lets you play this, play this extra aspect of the game, it lets you gain like it, it it would affect your game right anything you found in the pocket station in chocobo world you could transfer over to your game file on your playstation wow. that was the that was the real bonus to it i think there's i don't remember and don't quote me on this but i think there was an item that is exclusive to that world that you can't get without it as well but i don't remember what it was well that's pretty sad that we uh didn't have access to that um the pc version does <laughs> oh, uh, Croesus, Croesus, and Swiggle are having a discussion. Swiggle's quite upset uh, about everyone not liking Renoa in chat. Um, and Croesus has just written, "Have you noticed that this is another character that you like with daddy issues?" <laughs> so this seems to be a trend that uh, that Swiggle has here. Just <laughs> where you you really like the characters with daddy issues. Um, Russell's written. Really Every character in this game technically has daddy yeah. issues. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Everybody, guys, in this one. Um, you can get a Moogle via the pocket station. You can get a Moogle via the pocket station. Mm -hmm. I see. Okay. Oh, <laughs> Ness, right. Ness likes a big rat lady, yes. Um, right, guys. Well, I think we're done for this evening. I think we've we've really thoroughly covered Final Fantasy VIII. It's been absolutely brilliant going through all these questions and more with you two. I've thoroughly enjoyed 
delving so deeply into this game uh, and it really makes me want to pick it up again. Um, so thank you everybody for all the questions in chat. Thank you for hanging out with us and having the good conversation. Uh, Brofer, could you let everybody know where they might find you, if, if you are on something, what you do, maybe tell Waking how to find out about your anime convention. You can find me in Canada. No, I'm... <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I, again, like I stream on Twitch, Twitch TV slash Brofar. Um, I play many games a lot of the time, play Inscription. Yeah, thank you for the shout out. Uh, otherwise, the anime convention I run is called OdaFest. It's odafest.com. It's up in Calgary. We're on May long weekend, so it's May 22nd, 23rd this year, uh, or 2022. So feel free to check that out as well. And uh, thank you for having me. I was... This was really exciting and really fun. Oh, thank you. It's been great having you. And Chris, what about yourself? Yeah, so uh, you can find me most often on my podcast, Geek Between the Lines. Uh, we have episodes almost every week where we go through uh, all sorts of geeky series from Harry Potter to Avatar The Last Airbender and The Hunger Games. Each time we uh, talk a little bit about... Um, uh, you know, an interesting theme that we see, you know, compassion in Harry Potter, where we see characters and plot points kind of engaging with that. Uh, as you can see, it's something that I enjoy doing, just, uh, kind of discussing narratives. So uh, you can find us at bit.ly slash Geek Between the Lines. It's the best way to get to our website, or you can just search for Geek Between the Lines on any podcatcher that you use. Uh, so, Brofa and Chris, could you in the Discord for me right now in our little chat that I've put together, because you two put your URLs in, your links for the things. So the convention for you, Brofa, and Chris, the uh, Geek Between the Lines, because I know that a bunch of people are going to be interested. But you guys, if you were to put the URL in chat, it might spam it, you know, it might throw it out. So I'll just copy it um, into chat. So... Well, also that Croesus, thanks. <laughs> so, that, so that's Brofa's, um, that's Brofa's uh, convention for Waking and anyone else. But Waking's thoroughly interested. Um, and this is the Geek Between the Lines podcast. So that's a podcast for you guys to go and add to your podcast collection. <laughs> Thank you, Croesus. Um, thank you both. Thank you so much. It has been an absolute pleasure having you on here. It's been lovely delving so deeply into a Final Fantasy again. Um, and we will next, our next Final Fantasy is going to be a Christmas quiz special. And it is a super duper quiz special, guys, because it's going to have all of the winners of the quiz so far. So we have... Krosis Gaming, who you see in chat before you. We have Dupefort Gaming, and we have Kane Highwind. And I always forget the last numbers on his name. Is it 82 or is it 87? 27, that's it. Kane Highwind, everybody knows him as Kane. So those three are previous winners of the quiz, the, the quizzes that we've had across the last year and a half. And they are always the top front one runners. So we're getting them to all go against each other this time and see who is the ultimate champion of our quizzes. So don't forget that with our quizzes, you are actually able to play along with them. It's an interactive quiz. So all you have to do is show up and all the questions will come up on screen and you can take part and also pit yourself against the people on the, on the show. So 
Thank you very, very much. Thank you, Brofa and Chris. Thank you so much for being here tonight. And let's all just say goodbye. Thank you very much, everybody. We'll see you all soon. Bye-bye. 